from the Kentucky New Era Studios in Hopkinsville. It's the Young Sports Podcast. And now, here's your host, Chris Young. Welcome in for another episode of Young Sports, a podcast focusing on local prep athletics in Western Kentucky and around the entire Commonwealth. My name is Chris Young, and I am your host, coming to you from the Kentucky New Era Studios in Hopkinsville. And whether you're a Patriots fan still celebrating another championship or a Falcon supporter traversing the early stages of grief, we hope that this super episode of the Young Sports Podcast will lift your spirits. As for today's kickoff, as always, we want to thank Warner Brothers recording artist Ryan Kinder for lending us his hit single Close as the intro music for this very show. Big things continue to happen for Ryan, who was recently named an artist to watch in 2017 by Billboard magazine. He made his Ryman Auditorium debut last week and has watched as the song Close shows up in popular lists within the likes of Spotify, and among the hits played in this week's Slacker Radio Weekly Country Countdown. If you like it, go shell out the dollar twenty-nine to buy it on iTunes. If you're there looking for more of a bargain, you can also subscribe and download this very podcast, Young Sports, while you're there. And thanks to you, our listening numbers continue to climb, interest continues to increase, and this train just keeps on rolling during a week-to-week basis. If you find a few spare moments, hop on over and subscribe to Young Sports, rate the show, and drop a quick review. As I mentioned during last week's episode, the feedback and the comments are tremendous, and I'm grateful to you for listening and streaming wherever, whenever, and however you may be tuned in at this very moment. I'm beyond appreciative for making Young Sports a part of your weekly lineup, and I hope that you enjoy the show. All right, we have another strong lineup of guests scheduled for today's show, but literally right out of the gate, yes, pun absolutely intended, is the man who has the ability to make a horse circle his home football field every time points are scored. We are joined today by third-year Murray State University football head coach, Mitch Stewart. Coach, thank you so much for taking uh, some time for us this afternoon. I appreciate you having me, man. Uh, we absolutely wanted to, to talk about the, the, the class that you just signed. Congratulations on the success that the racers had on National Signing Day. Uh, I believe a, a total of 25 uh, young men who signed a, a letter of intent last week and that on top of five early enrollees. So a, a great group, 30 new guys adding to the, to the roster. And I know from a, a Western Kentucky, and really even more specifically, Southern Penny Ryle interest standpoint, 
really a, a, a huge crop of kids, two from Hopkinsville, another one from Trigg County, and then a young man, Donovan Keith, who transferred in and, and is going to be a part of the, the program as well from Christian County. Just a, an unbelievable crop of kids that you've got coming that way. Uh, I'll ask you about them individually here in a moment, but how, how big is it for you to be able to go into your backyard and, and find such quality players and, and kids and student athletes right in Western Kentucky that can come in and make a difference? Well, it was, it was huge for us this year for a number of reasons. Um, a, it was big just because this was, this was probably the, the best, I think, since I've been here. Um, as far as volume goes, um, you know, uh, when you're talking about how many really good players in this area, this was probably the best year, um, that I, that I've seen it, um, since 2010, since, since I got here, as far as there being a lot of guys who were, um, college caliber athletes. And, um, and the great thing was, was it, it kind of hit at the perfect time because, Anybody who followed us last year knows that we had a huge signing class last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we weren't going to have that many numbers this year. We weren't supposed to have that many numbers this year. Um, but what we set out trying to do this year uh, from a recruiting standpoint was we really wanted to build our depth. That was what we wanted to do was um, we needed to get our depth right. Um, and we only had 10 scholarships to do that with <laughs> at the end of the day. Right. Um, <laughs> So when you have guys who are right in your backyard, you're able to do some things. You have a lot of wiggle room because, um, man, there's, there's so much help out there, um, from academic standpoint. You know, that's probably one thing I was most proud of is we've got some incredible student athletes coming in. Um, and they were able to help us because we could just give them a full scholarship minus any academic money they were going to get. Um, or there's, there's all kinds of different scholarships. We really set out to find all of these, um, all of these little scholarships, not loans now, not, not even, but uh, scholarships that, that, uh, a lot of these guys didn't know about. We didn't know about when we first started this process so that we could put as many name tags on the board. As a matter of fact, it's funny that you called me right here because I'm sitting here looking. I've, I've got my recruiting coordinator in here. We're kind of doing the spring cleaning, I guess, and putting all the name tags up. Um, on the board and um, I, I really thought that we weren't going to be able to do it in a year you know obviously Rome wasn't built in a day um, I thought it was going to take us a little bit of time to get our depth the way that we wanted it um, but we came pretty close to it this year I was really really excited about um, having the opportunity to get all of these local guys and bring them in here um, and increase that depth um, in so many different areas Sure. And on top of creating that depth, I think another exciting thing that it does that uh, you kind of alluded to a little bit, but the fact that it really will create such excitement with not just family members, but teammates and coaches and folks that follow these kids for four or five years at the local level who now they're suddenly Murray State fans if they weren't before. So you, you pull and tap into really a new part of your fan base, which I think is another great benefit to, to getting some of these guys right from down the road huge force man i've, I've had so many uh uh retweets and likes and, and uh, <laughs> new twitter followers and stuff like that because it's like you said it's all these all these guys their their family members or their coaches uh little league coaches and a lot of these guys have been playing around these parts for a long long time you know they've got a lot of buddies 
um, going to help us in next year's class. You know, some of these guys, some of these young guys that, that we've already kind of earmarked and got our eyes open um, on and, and uh, some of these juniors and upcoming guys. So um, from that standpoint, it's just um, – it's, it's good. You get all of these these local guys, and you create this big buzz and excitement, and, and you're hoping that it puts more people in the seats uh, come the fall. Um, you know, and like I said, man, from a social media aspect, we've got uh, the Murray State logo being thrown out here, there, and everywhere. Um, and any time that you can do that, um, especially this day and age when social media drives everything, um, then you're you know you're cooking with grease at that point, and that's that's what we want to do. Sure. I know one thing people are always curious about because you did get eight from Kentucky, which is awesome, but you're not just recruiting in the state of Kentucky. You've obviously got to expand your reach and, and go deeper and do some traveling to find some guys to put together a 30 person class. How many of these student athletes or recruits are you able to even watch in person or, or do you really have to rely pretty heavily on something like huddle online to, to watch Highlight videos. How does that go from from your standpoint? I know you've got a great staff, but do you even get to see yeah. a lot of these guys in person before they show yeah, up? We, uh, good question. Um, certain positions, quarterback. We will never sign a quarterback that we don't don't see throw in person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just kind of my personal thing. Um, we try we try not to sign any anybody that we haven't laid eyes on. Um, however, at this level, we don't have all the resources. We don't have the the jets and the planes and all of that and the unlimited budget and all of those type of things. So we do, we have to, uh, sometimes we rely on word of mouth. Some of these coaches that we built really good relationships with these high school coaches, um, who maybe they've sent us a good player in the past mm-hmm. and, uh, they'll call us and say, look, man, I know he is a legit five ten. He is legit 172 pounds. And this kid is a legit ball player. And when, and when they say that, then we go, okay, he must be pretty good. But for the most part, um, I, I mean, most everybody that we sign, uh, we will have at least laid eyes on. I can only think of probably one or two out of this class um, that we announced uh, that we didn't personally see in person. Gotcha. Well, I know they're already signed, so you don't you don't need me vouching for them. But I can tell you that the the four or five guys I want to ask you about individually here. Are, are all young men that I've personally watched, and you're getting a, a heck of a class just from these five guys. Um, when you talk about the Hopkinsville duo that, that signed last week and C.J. Hennigan and Don Parker, I know yeah. those, those are two guys that both had options. Uh, C.J.'s yeah. a heck of an athlete and had an opportunity to maybe play basketball down yeah. south, and then Don actually had some other uh, Ohio Valley Conference schools after him. So a, a nice thing you're able to, to – get him to, to come over to your side. But with those two, you're getting tremendous GPAs, great young men in the community, but for your purposes immediately, two pretty darn good athletes when you talk about Hennigan as a receiver and Parker as a def- defensive back. Yeah, for us, you know, when you – when you all of the intangibles that you talked about, they've got, they've got all of them. They're good people. They come from good families and all that kind of stuff. For us, though, um, looking at the, you, you, you got speedy length is what you have. They're both really tall, really long guys. Um, very, very good athletes. Like you said, you know, CJ had, uh, he had some other options. Um, the, the basketball route, uh, Don, um, you know, there was another school that was in the mix heavily, uh, that we battled until the end. Um, and, um, you know, Don was a guy, both of those guys I saw 
um, in camps uh, during the summer. Um, Don, I really and truly, I'll be honest with you, I thought Don, just because of the position that he played in that secondary, um, I, I really didn't think we were going to have a shot at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first saw him this summer, I thought he was going to be a, a Mac guy, you know, a, a Northern Illinois, somebody like that. One of those Mac schools will sure. pick him up. Um, and, uh, and really and truly thought Western would wind up picking him up just because, uh, you know, when Western had Brom over there, um, he was so heavily, you know, Kentucky oriented in all his signing classes. I really thought that, that that was kind of where he would go. So I was very, very pleased to be able to get, um, those two guys because, um, I think that, uh, both of those guys, I, I think that they have the ability to play. Um, pretty soon, mm-hmm. uh, you know, have an immediate impact, whether that's offensively or defensively, or whether that's fourth down value, whether that's going to be the year of covering kicks, you know, or, or, or whatever the case may be. Um, but even more so, I think you're getting two guys who have an incredible ceiling, um, an incredible potential just because of their body length, their, uh, their athletic ability, um, being that tall and long, um, and being able to run and change directions. So, um, you know, you just, you, you've got a lot of potential with those two guys. And it'll be very, very interesting to see how their body changes, uh, when they're coming over here and they're, um, they've got unlimited meal plans and they're lifting weights and so on and so forth, man. It, it's amazing to see these guys, you know, a lot of times they go back home for Christmas and their parents don't even recognize them. <laughs> well, I know they're going to put in the work. So I guarantee that transformation will will happen pretty quickly. And I don't want to get off too much on a tangent here, but you mentioned something interesting and I kind of led you into it, but these guys did have options. And one of them had an OVC school, like you said, that was literally pressing down to the 11th hour. The other one had a pretty good basketball opportunity. You've been doing this a while as an offensive coordinator and now as a head coach. When kids pick your school, your program over another one, does it how does it make you feel? Are you flattered? I mean, does it does it make you just being with pride to know that you did enough to, to convince them to, to come to your side? And the reason why you do this job is because uh, you were a competitor at one point uh, from a physical standpoint. You know, you were actually able to go out there and you were able to play the downs and throw it, catch it, run it, tackle it, all of those things. And then at some point we got too old or our eligibility ran up and we weren't good enough to go to the pros. We had to hang cleats up and, we decided to trade it in for a whistle, but that competitive edge is still there. Sure. Um, so anytime you're able to quote unquote beat somebody on a kid, um, that makes you feel really, really good. Yeah. Uh, really, really good. And, uh, and on the flip side, anytime that you lose one, that makes you, you know, you get a little, a little butthurt about it too, <laughs> uh, because we're all, we're all competitive creatures. Sure. Um, uh, but, uh, Man, when we when we sit in there and that and, and that young man sits across the table and says, "Hey, look, I'm committed." And we see that fax come through. It's the reason why you see all the high fives and all the hugs and uh, all of those things, man. Is because uh, there's an awful lot of work that goes into it. It's it's an awful lot of fun, um, but it is work. There's a lot of a lot of miles um, logged uh, on the road and things like that. And when uh, when you're able to convince a guy that your place is better than somebody else's, uh, it makes you walk around with your chest poked out a little bit. We're talking with Murray State football head coach Mitch Stewart here in the Young Sports Podcast. Mentioned a moment ago a great recruiting class that he signed for 2017 on National Signing Day. The biggest group in terms of position that you brought in was offensive linemen. And as you know, it starts up front. And you got a big boy from Trigg County who's going to hopefully be a big part of that for you in Davion Phillips. Six yeah. foot three, 305 pounds, 
every bit of that poundage also. All-State second team, played in that Kentucky-Tennessee border bowl, had just been a really consistent force for the Wildcats at Trigg the last few years. What are you getting with him? Yeah, you know, you're getting a, an interior lineman. Um, and, and I tell you, the thing about him is, is he's kind of an athlete. Uh, I know that sounds strange when you're talking about a 300-pound guy, but um, he's played both sides of the line of scrimmage. Um, and uh, I think that he's got the athletic ability to be an interior guy on the other side of the line of scrimmage as well. Um, but uh, that's what you're getting is a, is a big athlete, a 300-pound athlete. Um, great, great young man. Um, great, you know, great people, great family. Um, and a lot of pride in this university, uh, being right down the road, which is, which is one thing that I love, you know, um, is, is that guy, he, he wants to be here. And I know that's how all of these guys want to be here. They sign their, their, uh, their uh, letter of intent and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but Dave, he was one that we were able to get committed right away. Um, because he just has a great pride of this university and, uh, big guy, strong guy. And, and, and I think again, the same thing with him. Um, I think he's going to harden up a little bit. You know, he's probably going to get a little lighter mm-hmm. before he gets bigger. You know, we'll try to shrink him down, um, get him under 300 pounds and then try to build him back up the right way. Um, and I, I think that uh, people would be very, very surprised with him, you know, after spending six, seven months over here. And when he goes back down there to uh, Hawkinsville over Christmas, I think some people are going to be surprised about his body as well um, because I could see him changing a lot in a six month period. I think I saw a picture of him after a, a visit he took to Murray. He looked pretty good in that in that racer uh, jersey. I, I think he's going to be a good one for you. Um, and then well, a, a, I another, told him I told him all when they put on those jerseys uh-huh. that uh, it was a perfect color. It brings out the color of their eyes. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it, and you weren't lying. They they, they look good. <laughs> uh, the the last guy I want to mention, um, and then I'll I'll, I'll let you go because I know we're probably running longer than you anticipated, but. A, a young man who who was not a part of the the signing day traditional process and has maybe kind of joined uh, on the back end, so to speak, kind of kind of quietly. But a, a kid that really overcame some injuries at Christian County High School over his career, and by the time he was a senior, turned into a, a pretty darn good defensive back. And that's Donovan Keith. He had I think forty tackles as a senior, racked up one hundred and ten receiving yards, did some things on offense, uh, but. I, what do you know about Donovan, and, and what, what will he bring to the program? Well, you know, I think that uh, the, the good thing is, is he's already here, you know. Um, we were able to get him and, and bring him here and, and uh, get a chance to see him move around and work out, some things like that. And, um, and uh, you know, so very excited just to get that extra time um, uh, with those guys. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's what you love. Those midterm guys, they, they sure. can kind of bring a um, – um, an immediate, um, you get a chance to immediately evaluate them. They get a chance to immediately impact your program. Um, plus they get six months to, to get healthier and get stronger and, and those type things. Um, and I, I think that's the biggest thing with him and the rest of those guys that came in at midterm is they just get the, the extra time. You know, you're not so pressed up. These, these true freshmen and, and guys that you sign on Saturday in February, there's only so much that you can bank on them. Um, just because you're banking on their strictly God-given ability. They've got to come in. If they're going to play right away, it's because of, of the things that they already have, not the things that you can teach them or get them stronger and, and those type of things. And that's the reason why 
those guys are always question marks. You can't just plug them all in on your roster and say, well, this guy's going to play for us, this guy's going to play for us. However, those midterm guys, you get you get a six-month period right there where you get to evaluate them, see them, you get to build them, uh, find out what their strengths are, find out what their weaknesses are, um, and, and work to improve both of those. Uh, and you just get a little bit more time to get them ready. Absolutely. Another guy that's that we uh, I have not mentioned, um, but uh, I think he might be the steal of your class, and that's Trajan Bright. He's a kind of out of my out of my coverage area when you talk about the Kentucky New Era. But holy cow, a, a kid that's only uh, won what three state championships and racked up rushing yeah. uh, records at, at Mayfield and. Man, he might be uh, somebody that some of those other schools look back and say, "What were we thinking? Not pursuing him a little harder." Well, you know, the thing about it is, is, is if you want to change the culture of your program, you go find people who are from winning programs, um, and that's what we try to do. We try to get a lot of guys who were from um, good programs. Um, you know, obviously there there are some guys who are really good athletes that that uh, didn't come from great programs. You take those guys just because, again, they have natural ability. I mean, and there's, but you, you, you want to make sure that you fill up your team with guys who are used to winning, um, and guys who are used to being productive, um, and producing. And, and when you talk about that, uh, the buck stops at Trajan Bright. I mean, the guys has, um, I, you know, he doesn't know, he doesn't know what it's like, uh, to do the L word, um, <laughs> because they haven't done that a whole lot over there. Right. Probably doesn't know how to spell that word. <laughs> um, and then plus when you talk about production, it doesn't get any more productive than he was um, during his career. You know, he broke uh, Jonathan Jackson, who was here, played linebacker for us. He right. broke all of his rushing records. Um, and we remember the week it happened because we didn't think Jonathan was going to be able to play that week because he was so tore up about it. Uh, we were sitting in the hotel that Saturday. I, I think we were playing Eastern Kentucky, as a matter of fact, and uh, when it happened. And uh, I thought we lost J.J. for the rest of the day. Boy, he was so he was so hurt to Trey John. Uh, you know, broke all his records. But, um, you know, the thing about Trajan is he's not very big in stature. He's not going to walk in a room and wow you. Right. But, again, you're talking about a guy who comes from a winning program, one of the most winning programs in the country, um, and a guy who is ultra productive. And uh, those type guys are always going to be the ones that every year you're going to try to sign over him. You're going to try to sign somebody that's bigger and all that kind of stuff. And every year, usually those guys are the ones that you can't ever, you can't ever oversign. You can't ever get that spot taken up because they just wind up beating out whoever you tried to bring in to, to you know, to take the spot. And uh, just because they kind of have that attitude about them, and and he's just a ball player, man. He's a ball player, and you're right. He he may have been the steal of the class. Um, kind of went unnoticed, and uh, and another school in the LVC tried to dump in on him there late. And uh, we were able to, uh, you know, to get him at the end and, and very, very proud of that one. Well, I hope you continue to, to recruit uh, in this part of the state the way you did because you, there's quality kids everywhere and you obviously found them. Uh, the, the last connection we'll, we'll mention here, I can't let you hang up without mentioning uh, Casey Brockman, whose dad is the <laughs> the, uh, the director of Parks and Recreation here in Hopkinsville. But I know Casey has obviously been a giant part of that program and now is receivers coach and I think you even bumped him up to passing game coordinator with the yep. in addition to his duties as uh, as an assistant but um Casey has become synonymous it seems like with with that program and with offense and with some of the records that he still has that that, that Humphreys didn't 
break, but uh, yeah. what what an asset he is, I'm sure, to what you're trying to do. He's a ball coach, um, you know, and, and he's a good one. He's a, he's a good young one. Um, and the biggest thing about him is he cares about the players, um, takes a lot of pride in, in his work and, and in his position uh, and making sure that they're doing the right things and, and um, going to the right places and, and, and both off the field and on the field. He just takes a lot of pride in what he's doing. Um, and, um, you know, got a lot of that from his daddy, obviously. Uh, but uh, very, very, uh, very, very happy to have him here he, he helps in a lot of different ways obviously with his connections around the state um and this side of the state helps us um it helps us to be honest with you, you know it helps us get some guys maybe to uh to be preferred walk-ons that we shouldn't we have no business getting mm-hmm. I mean, that was the other thing with this big group you know some of these guys we announced we didn't technically sign we announced them um because they're going to be preferred walk-ons but we found a couple of loopholes to be able to to um to announce those guys as part of our signing class uh, myself i was a walk-on when i played and then casey you know he walked on here and, and became a two-time all-american and um, i think that right there that story having that story of him and, and his work ethic and how he's um gone about uh his career helps us you know get a lot of these developmental guys get a lot of these guys that we have no business getting for for no money and uh, getting them into the program, putting them in that weight room, then a year down the road, you're having to find money to give them, you know, to keep them around. And um, ultimately, uh, that's how you can change the culture of your program. When you have all of those people pushing the next guy in front of them, that's what you want. You want that level of competition. And I think um, I think that's the biggest thing that, that uh, Coach Brodman helps bring to this place is a level of competition, um, not only with his position, but um, – and he's the type of guy now you go over there and play staff basketball. He's, he's, he's going to beat you. He's going to try to, uh, even me, you know, he, he tries to beat me. And even when I tell him I'm on fire, um, he's still trying to foul me and, and, and beat me and all that kind of stuff. And that's what he brings to the table. What a, what a great uh, piece of leverage you can use there. Tell a guy to back off or he's going to lose his job. That's a, uh... Oh yeah. I'm not going to go over there now and, and get made a fool. Of. Uh-uh. <laughs> I'll start, I'll start handing out pink slips before I lose. That's amazing. That's that's the reason you get into it, right? So you can never, right. you never lose a pickup basketball or anything else again. That's right. Um, I'll I'll give you your last uh, moment here to, to to make a pitch. I know I mentioned at the beginning of the interview that uh, for folks that have not seen it, Racer One, the the horse that literally circles the track around the football field every time a touchdown or I believe even a field goal is scored. But a, a really neat thing if, if people have never seen it. Uh, but what's your what's your pitch for folks that have not come to a Murray State game, other than coming to watch their local guys compete now and, and in the future? Why should they come check out the racers in 2017? Well, here's here's the thing. And I tell you, like I tell the recruits, there's a lot of there's a lot of bears, there's a lot of cowboys, there's a lot of um, tigers, there's a lot of eagles, um, there's a lot of those mascots, bulldogs. Uh, there's a lot of those mascots. Um, there's literally only one racer. You can look it up in the encyclopedia. Um, there's only one racer in the country in sports, and that's the Murray State racer. And um, and we take a lot of pride in that. Uh, you come to our facility, and you get on the elevator, you're going to do two things. You're either going to giddy up or you're going to giddy down. Um, and uh, we take a lot of pride in in being the racers. And, um, and, and, and a lot gets said about our offense, and we like to go fast and things like that. But our whole football team, we're, we're based on that mantra. Okay, and a lot of people talk about tempo and they like to do no huddle. Well, we have.
have it as our mascot. So we've got everybody beat right there. Um, you know, we everything that we do, we want to try to do very efficiently, very fast. Um, you know, you're in the state of Kentucky, and I'm no idiot. The state of Kentucky is synonymous with this basketball. Well, we're basketball on grass. If you want to see um, fast pace and and, uh, and uh, fast breaks and things like that, come on over to Roy Stewart because you're going to see it year-round. It'll give you a taste of it in the fall, and it'll get you prepped for basketball season. Um, and, um, you know, and, and another thing, you got, you got 90 some odd guys, young, young people, uh, working tremendously hard. Um, you know, uh, not sitting inside playing video games, um, not out on the streets, um, selling drugs, um, you know, and things like that. You got a bunch of guys who, um, who are trying to, do things the right way and trying to better their self, better their families. And I think in any sport, um, I think that's ultimately what you want is you want people to respect that part of it, that you have all of these guys who are out there for a bigger purpose um, and, and trying to um, give their families a better lot in life, give them a better lot in life. Um, and ultimately, when you think of it that way, man, why wouldn't you want to come watch them do what they love? Awesome stuff from Murray State University head football coach Mitch Stewart joining us today on the Young Sports Podcast. Coach, as, a, as an MSU alum and, and fan of the Racers myself, I appreciate the work that you have done and continue to do and can't wait to follow the progress of these guys and the entire program in 2017 and beyond. Best of luck to you and to your staff and to everybody. And like I said, thank you so much for taking some time for us this afternoon. Thank you, bro. Go Racers. Go racers, that's right. All right, that's Mitch Stewart, football coach at Murray State. We'll be back in just a moment with the Young Sports Podcast. We continue on now with the Young Sports Podcast. The segment you've come to love, you've come to enjoy, you've come to expect, and we're bringing it to you once again this week in this episode. It's 10 Minutes with Dad, starring Wayne Young. Uh, my dad, giving you the, the father-son perspective on life and on sports and really anything that we can think of to talk about. And he joins us again on the Young Sports Hotline from Cincinnati, Ohio. And there's some anguish on the other end of the phone today. I know your your prognostication for the the big game, the Super Bowl 51 that was played last night, didn't quite come to fruition. You you just missed out on on becoming a, an expert. And and you know, Christopher, first of all, thank you. Glad to be back. Uh, I I love to use the word chortle because I think chortle is just such an expressive term. It 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 describes perfectly how someone behaves when they when they feel like they're right and they want to tell the world that, hey, I'm right. And I, I chortled last night at 8.56 p.m., uh, Sunday night, 8.56 p.m., when I sent you a text and I said, reminding you about my Atlanta prognostication, when Atlanta had just scored to go up 28-3 to and... That was at 8.56 p.m. An hour and a half later, I, I just, I was, I sat in stunned silence. But at Falcons fans, I accept total responsibility for two reasons. One, I picked Atlanta. And two, 
I tempted the fantasy sports gods by rooting for a New England touchdown and a failed two-point conversion to allow me to win the fantasy football pool with a score of 28 to 26. <laughs> and you never do that. I, I learned that lesson years ago when I did that with Ken Griffey when he was on my fantasy team playing my beloved Indians. And I said, it's okay if he goes 4-4-4 four four with a couple of home runs as long as the Indians win. And clearly he had a huge day and the Indians didn't win. And you just don't tempt the fantasy gods, and I did it last night, so I, I accept full responsibility. Well, uh, we'll we'll let it go this time. I'm, hopefully there's not too many uh, Atlanta Falcons fans listening right now and for those of the people that did have to turn the podcast off to use their phone to look up chortle on the dictionary online hopefully you'll you'll come back on but i like that you're doing a it's a new segment within a segment word of the week in 10 minutes with dad (laughs) well thank you chortle remember it last night we talked about this for a moment before we got started today but it is pretty incredible when you look at the way that game played out and the the highs and lows and the the emotions that come with just watching a game like that, much less playing in it. Tom Brady, who has been there before, and Bill Belichick, who has been there before, and guys who know how to play the game and who are true professionals, showed and proved again last night why, and I think you use this word very eloquently, why they are professionals in what they're doing. Those guys never really blinked even when they were down. I know Brady had his head in his hands a little bit, but pretty incredible way for those guys to to bounce back and to show that you really can't get too low in a game like that. No, you're absolutely right. And and what's interesting is when going into that game, you talked about the the experience, the veteran leadership, the the fact that they've been there so many times uh, on the New England side and the fact that Atlanta was so young. And you thought that perhaps the youth – uh, would be a detriment for Atlanta, when in reality, at the beginning of the game, it, it really played to their advantage. Any football coach will tell you that the first two or three series of the game are really the only time that emotion plays into football, at that level especially. That most professionals, uh, they come in hyped up. Uh, the first series, the second series, that energy, that emotion plays a big part in their performance. But after that, it evens out the rest of the way. Well, clearly, Atlanta came in as with all of the emotion in the world, and they performed at a at a, a very unique level for the first, uh, I'd say, half and and a quarter, part of a, a quarter uh, uh, of that game. And New England never panicked. Their veteran steadiness just stayed the course, and eventually, what happened? Atlanta, which dispensed and used up all their energy early in the game. They were a dog-dead, tired in the fourth quarter team, and they could not stop uh, a resilient bunch uh, and a veteran crafty bunch like the Patriots. It was a great game. First time in, uh, ever, obviously, an overtime game in the Super Bowl. It was a terrific game, but I don't think there's anybody that was watching that game last night with three minutes and 35 seconds to play, and Tom Brady got the football back down by eight points that didn't say, they're going to tie this game. You just knew it, and they did. Do you? I know you're a college football and basketball fan. Do you, when you're watching a game like that last night where the professionals really do take over and they don't show too much emotion, 
do you miss the vulnerability of a college student athlete in terms of showing that emotion during a game and, and kind of wearing it on your sleeve and watching that unfold and transpire throughout the course of a game? Do you prefer that other than or over watching a, a game like last night where it's pretty straight faced until the the final horn goes off? Well, I, 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 you know, obviously that I am a huge amateur uh, sports fan, uh, high school and college in particular. I, I have great love and, and passion for those sports, and in large part because the 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 emotion, the emotional commitment that the athletes at that level make to their teams, just it makes for a, a bit of unpredictability. Uh, I don't like things to be too uh, too rigid, too patterned, too typical. Uh, of what you would see at a professional level and in, in amateur athletics especially in most cases you never know what you're going to get but you and I have had this conversation before really professional sports at that level has begun moving down into younger and younger age groups and now college, the college game, college football the top 15 or 20 teams every year mm-hmm. they play more and more like a pro team uh, uh, really every year uh, as that continues to move down a little bit, uh, so but there are still those second tier college level teams that aren't quite there, and, and unfortunately, you know, my love uh, and the teams that I particularly follow, they fall into that second tier, especially in football, probably third tier in college football. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a totally different game, uh, and and you watch it for the pomp and the circumstance and everything going on on the sidelines. And the cheerleaders of the band, and uh, and all of that, which makes for a, a really great overall spectacle. Well, we'll uh, wrap up our our big game coverage here, our Super Bowl Fifty One conversation, and then I'll let you go. We'll do a little bit of a lightning round here. But are you ready? I've got some questions for oh, you about boy. about how you experienced the I Super wasn't Bowl. Prepped for this. No, but, I've uh, got to talk to my agent. Well, next time we'll get we'll get everything you need and ironed out before we start. But uh, All right. Super Bowl Fifty One best commercial. I love the NFL promo with the babies dressed as the uh, the coaches of <laughs> uh, particular teams during the eras in which they were born, and only because I thought the Dick Butkus baby was absolutely adorable. Not Dick Butkus, uh, Mike Dick, the. Uh, Mike Ditka, yeah. baby, Dick Buckus. Shows you my allegiance. I'm an Illinois fan. Uh, the Mike Ditka, baby, I thought was adorable. Uh, best Lady Gaga moment or song or indifferent about the halftime show? Not indifferent. Actually, uh, I thought last night's uh, Super Bowl 51's halftime was as good as I've seen in a long time. Probably the, the big moment. And, and, you know, you know me. I'm suspicious of everything. I don't, I guess I'm a conspiracy theorist at heart. And I, I knew that Lady Gaga's intro to halftime was pre-produced. I knew it. But yet, I still for a moment thought to myself, did she just jump into the roof? Into the open roof of that stadium? I knew she didn't. But for a brief moment, I, I, I asked myself, did I just see that? Did she do that? But I, I knew she did. And in fact, today they came out and said that was Hollywood magic that was pre-produced. But the rest of it, her coming down, that was legitimate. That girl was a couple hundred feet up in the air. That's crazy. It reminded me of uh, of Jimmy Snuka jumping off the top of a cage from a few years ago when she uh, when she <laughs> oh did that. My. 
little wrestling reference for you out there. Or Mick Foley. Or Mick Foley, yeah. Well, he kind of did an elbow drop. Snooker just jumped straight off, arms yeah. open, you know, belly down <laughs> like that. Um, oh, that's great. Super Bowl snack of choice last night. I know that you uh, are have been trying to, to eat better and, and that sort of thing, but did you indulge last night at all? Were there, were there any snacks that, that you had in front of the TV? No, you know what? Last night there were there really there was no uh, no snacking. We we just kind of did what's almost becoming a tradition now, which was to order our favorite pizza uh, to have it delivered by by opening kickoff. It was interesting because I every year I always say we've got to order it earlier because we're never going to get it because you know everybody's ordering. And last night it was one of these things where it seemed like I hung up the phone and the doorbell was ringing. I don't know how I got there so fast. So I would yeah, I would say pizza, and not just any pizza, and not some big chain pizza. There's a little pizza place in northern Kentucky called Salvador's Pizzeria, which is our absolute favorite. So we ordered Salvador's. Hopefully they're listening. That could be a, a potential sponsor for Young Sports Podcast there you go. Down, the, down the road. <laughs> uh, last thing, early prediction, because it's never too early to start projecting, the Super Bowl 52 teams will be? Oh, I think the I think the Super Bowl fifty two teams next year. I think I, I really, really, truly believe in my heart of hearts that next year is the year that we're going to see my beloved Miami Dolphins get back to the Super Bowl. Ooh. I know New England's the defending champion; they're in the same division, but I really do think it's uh, it's going to be the Miami Dolphins so, against. So the Miami Dolphins playing out of the AFC against. Are you ready? I'm ready. This is a, a big stretch, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings. You know, Teddy yeah. Teddy Bridgewater might miss the entire 2017 season, also, right? Ah, uh, boy. Let me let me let me go back <laughs> then. And, uh, no, I, I, I Vikings. I think I like the Vikings. I really do. I, I like it. So Bradford Bradford full time. Adrian Peterson back and healthy. A a young receiving core that. Uh, you know what would be interesting about that if Bridgewater does come back and they play each other, you'd have former Louisville Cardinals uh, Teddy Bridgewater for the Vikings and Devontae yeah. Parker, his his former Devontae favorite Parker. receiver for the Dolphins. That'd be all right. I see the storyline already. I love it. Vikings, Dolphins, Super Bowl Fifty Two in Minnesota, which I don't know if you knew that or not, but they would get the host if they reach. So break out the mittens, and uh, we'll we'll see if you're right. We'll hopefully next year we can. Uh, have a Super Bowl 52 episode of the Young Sports Podcast and revisit your pick. Well, here's one prediction. They will not be opening the retractable roof in Minnesota next year like they did last night for Lady Gaga. Yeah, that ain't happening. Whoever's performing la- next year, there's no no magical jump through the roof. So go ahead and put that out of, <laughs> out of your mind. You're going to have to come up with something better. That That's that's the last question. Who, who does the halftime show next year? Well... You know, I, I've been I've been saying for years that uh, it, it's it's got to be it's got to be somebody that everybody everybody knows, everybody recognizes, um, that everybody likes, uh, and and I think next year it's Garth Brooks. Ooh, man! You know I'd be down with that. I know you would. I like the Garth Brooks pick. So there you go. Okay, well, I may start lobbying for that now. Good stuff. Great uh, great insight. Uh, great predictions other than the, the Falcons last night, which is okay. Um, but we, uh, we hope you'll come back 
next week for another segment of 10 Minutes with Dad, which was about 13 and a half minutes today. We did pretty well, I'd say, with everything there was to discuss. So thank you. Uh, well, it's time to start talking baseball too, man. Oh, man. It's right around the corner. We'll, we'll be talking plenty of, plenty of Indians, plenty of tribe, plenty of, uh, for our fans out there, even some Cardinals and Reds and that sort of thing. But yep, spring training, pitchers and catchers reporting right around the corner. And you know that 10 minutes with dad will, will be all over that topic in the very near future. Uh, thanks for, thanks for joining us, dad. And we look forward to next week's conversation. Always a pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. That's 10 minutes with dad. We'll be right back on the Young Sports Podcast. We keep the Young Sports Podcast rolling now with my next guest, who is truly a jack of all trades. Some might even call him the Jeff of all trades. You can watch his sports broadcast during the week on WPSD Local 6 TV. You can listen to him from 7 to 9 a.m. each weekday morning on 99.5 The the Fan or 995thefanpaduka.com. And now you can even read his work in a limited edition book now available called Extending the Stay to San Jose, an oral history of the Murray State men's basketball upset of Vanderbilt and the 2010 NCAA tournament and the shot by Denaro Thomas that made it all possible. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome Mr. Jeff Bidwell to the Young Sports Podcast. Jeff, we're turning the tables and flipping the script a little bit. Are you, uh, are you okay being on this side of the interview for a change? I'm doing fine. Now this is a big, uh, this has been a big endeavor on your part here with the, uh, with the Young Sports uh, Podcast. How, what edition is this? Of, of the podcast. We are on episode number three. Okay, so we've reached number three, and we're already just dragging through the gutter looking for guests. I mean, <laughs> this is how quickly this thing has gone off the rails for you. Third and final episode, so uh, <laughs> once we get through with you, this is it. So I, I hope All you've right. got some good things for our finale well, lined up. We will go out with a bag, that's no problem. No, and I, I really do think that you are, uh, uh, and I know you'll uh, deflect, but Obviously, you've been around the, the block and have been doing what you're doing for quite a while and, and are a, a great resource uh, of, of, in terms of Murray State knowledge and prep knowledge, and particularly in the first region, and obviously dabble a little bit with me sometimes in the second region talking Hoptown County and UHA and things. But uh, we really wanted to have you on primarily to start with because you've done a pretty cool thing. And I know that there are a lot of folks out there that might say, hey, I like the idea of, of writing a book someday. Uh, you sat down and, and cranked one out, my man, and, and you've got a, a pretty cool product on your hand. And just wanted to, to ask you about that and, and have you take us through the process of putting that together. And then hopefully uh, a few listeners will maybe want to want to log on or give you an email and, and pick one up. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll kind of set the stage again. You, you've got this this book that really is, centered around a shot to a degree, one shot that really kind of changed the course. And I think you'll agree when you talk about Murray State basketball and creating what you call one of the great eras of, of MSU men's basketball with the shot that the narrow hit to knock off Andy in that 2010 tournament game in the opening round. Uh, how did the idea come about? Because it seems like an obvious one, but also I would think it takes a lot of work to say, 
this is what I want to center it around. Did it evolve from something else? Did it originate as something different? How did you get to the point where you said, De Niro shot, the upset of Vandy, let's go write a book about it? I was sitting in Steve Holmes' office, uh, it would have been about November of 2014, and we were just having a conversation about whatever, and uh, he had a picture on his wall of the dog pile at the end of the game, and I, I it, for some reason, it, it just rung a bell that, hey, we're coming up on the five-year anniversary of this shot, and you know, as sort of a means of sometimes just a content filler or whatever. I'm always a big anniversary guy. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, at least it was sort of a round number of five years. And I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll just put together a little sort of a where are they now, but, uh, you know, what do they remember about, you know, this moment and maybe just write a little web story for, uh, you know, for, for WPSD's website. And I actually... Um, I mean, that was all this was supposed to be. I mean, it would have been, I, I don't know what the word count on it, but I can't imagine it was going to be more than, you know, 1,000, 1,500 words, just kind of a, just kind of a story, sure. you know. And, and the first person I talked to was Prome, and we probably talked for 45 minutes, and he was kind of the first person that just started, started, and almost, they weren't even questions that I was asking. He would just start talking and then go off on these little side tangents. And it started peeling back some layers of the onion that I didn't even know existed. And then, um, and then we had, um, and then I talked to, I started just talking to other, the thing was I couldn't get a hold of De Niro. He was the one guy that was like, he was in Iceland, uh, playing and it was just very difficult to talk to him. But I talked to, I talked to Steve, and I talked to a couple of the other assistants, and I talked to uh, some of the other players, mm-hmm. and and the more I started talking, the more onion kept getting peeled away, and you know I started transcribing all of these interviews, and I was like, man, I, this might maybe like I don't know what it takes to write a book, but I think this might be one, and that was sort of you know, and then it. I had uh, come into a sort of a, a, you know, sort of the oral histories now are kind of big, and I thought that was an, because no one cares what I have to say about anything, but, but they would care what the guys thought about everything that had happened. And one thing led to another, and then suddenly I had, you know, 85,000 words on my hands, and, wow. and, uh, and we had a book. So um, it, was, uh, it, was, it was quite a two-year and it took two years about to do because there was some start stop in it and, you know, life had kind of get in the way because there wasn't really any sort of deadline to it. And then sort of towards the end of last summer, I was like, I got to get this thing done so I can move on with my life uh, and just try to get it done, you know, before Christmas. And uh, the, uh, the capitalist in me trying to uh, <laughs> get some stocking stuffers together. And, and that's how it all, all came to fruition in the end. You probably have a little bit of anxiety at that point, though, because you've got this this project you've been working on for two years that you want to be have perfect, and maybe you're nervous that it won't be received well, and then the other end, you're ready to get it done and probably off your mind and out there, like you said, to, to have it available for purchase at Christmas time. Was it tough to let it go? I mean, was it? Do you get to the point where you're like, I just finally have to ship this thing off? The hardest part was 
um, was pushing send to send it to the publisher. And then once I pushed send, I hadn't realized how much of a burden it had become on me. And because when I pushed send, it was, it was the proverbial weight of the world just (laughs) disappeared. And I I remember just kind of sitting back in my chair at my desk and I was like, Oh hi, this is, that was wildly liberating, <laughs> you know, like this is, this, this, this feels really good that I don't even, you know, I'd be like, all I've done is send it away. I don't even have it at this point, but it was just like, eventually you just have to say I'm done because I mean, I, the, the, the writing is one thing, but the editing and the re-editing and the re-re-editing and just, I mean, you can just go on forever. And, you know, I had other people look at it just to get a new set of eyes on it. And, and then I wouldn't go back and, and, recheck with Dave Don, you know, it's just, it, sure. I could still be editing that thing right now if I wanted to, <laughs> uh, because the last thing I want, and it's all the time, every book I've ever read, you always find a typo in it, and you're like, how did no one see this? Like, how, how did no one see this for all the people you know that went through it? And I was like, that was my biggest thing, was like, like I can't, I won't screw something up. And then, of course, I get the final copy, and I open up the book, and literally 15 seconds later, I found I found something wrong. So oh. I was like, I can't win, but it was an apostrophe, so I didn't care. I was like, we'll, we'll move on. I, I, could, I could swallow an apostrophe not being in there. So If an apostrophe is your biggest issue, then you're you're making that okay. I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm yeah. okay. You finally got a hold of De Niro, I assume, correct? He, he was yes. a pretty important part of that story. Yeah, he was. He was. And, you know, he was. And I think that was the part, I think the, the reason it was able to become a book was that it was, um, it wasn't about, the shot is obviously the climax of the book, but at the same time, you know, this, it, it all starts, you know, with Billy Kennedy showing up at Murray five years earlier and, and almost, you know, accepting the job and almost backing out of the job. Right. And De Niro... Um, you know, coming to Murray sight unseen because he didn't have any visits left and he comes for three months and then right before Christmas he just packs up his stuff and goes home and had no intention of coming back, you know, and so like there's just sort of these I guess in the in the sports world of fate, you know, all sort of the interconnecting pieces that any of a, a multitude of things could have just gone awry and then the fate of all of it goes in a different direction. Right. And so that's where, you know, we start, basically the book starts when uh, Murray makes their last tournament appearance in 2006, before that, and, and McCronin leaves for Cincinnati, and that's where it kind of picks up and then goes uh, goes from there. Because I don't think people wanted to read 300 pages about a game, <laughs> you know, because there, there's only so much, you know, there's only so much interest level that you can, you know, because the book that I... I was probably the biggest piece of help for me was, I believe it was Gene Wojciechowski wrote a book, I think it was called The Greatest Game, on the Duke-Kentucky game from 1992. Yeah. And, and I, you know, that I, I watched that game 50 times without exaggeration and probably closer to 100 when I was younger. I just watched it over and over and over. And I was like, oh, I'm just fascinated reading. I'm, I'm flipping through this book. Like, where's the game? And you have to get to the final... 10% of it before it's like, oh, by the way, later had a shot. Like, there was like, that had almost nothing to do with the whole book. It was everything else. And that's when I was like, yeah, you can't just write a book about 
possession by possession of a basketball game, you're not going to be able to hold people's attention with that. So sure. um, I thought sort of by accidental um, accidental genius, I guess, in a way, it kind of just backed into something that I thought worked out okay. Well, I think people like, too, when they can read or watch something or listen to something where that that proverbial curtain is pulled back and you can kind of find out what led up to that moment, what people were dealing with, what the adversity was like. I mean, you get the – everybody got to see that the, the dog pile and – the amazing moment, and you can go back and watch that on YouTube. But the the moments leading up to that are, are what make it, and you do a really nice job of kind of describing that. I believe you talked to what forty people to, for the book. Is that right? Yeah, it was about forty. Yeah, I mean, we talked to all the players and all the um, you know all the all the assistants and all the managers and the trainers and um, you know no no stone no stone left unturned. Ex- yeah, really. Ex- I, I mean, I, that was. Uh, there was a couple people, you know, so you kind of get to the end, you're like, oh, I could, you know, thought maybe I could try maybe get some more of the Vanderbilt side of it, but then I was like, eh, it doesn't, I don't really care, you <laughs> know, type of thing. I mean, sure. really the only person I really tried to get out of Vanderbilt was Kevin Stallings, um, and he uh, he gave me the Heisman twice, so that was uh, that was the end of that. So the uh, that was the only that was the only person who turned me down. Really was him. So, hmm. well, I'd, I'd say. Uh... Maybe that's coming back to bite him a little bit at Pitt. He's not exactly. <laughs> well, I'm not going to lie. I know I'm petty about it, but I guess when the, I don't remember who they were playing. Maybe it was a little later down, whatever, by 50 against him. And I just kind of smiled about it. And I said, well, you know, if you'd talk to me, you'd only be down 40 right now. So that was, uh, that was my own little you're worth at least one, You're at least worth 20 points, I guarantee it. <laughs> um, now, it sounds like we're getting down to the, the end in terms of the – the editions of the book that you have left, which is incredible. It's obviously been received very well. And I know you've been at, appearing in some Murray state games and showing up at, at rotary meetings and, and doing anything you can to, to raise interest. How many copies do you have left and what is the best possible way for people to get that if they want to order it right now? Well, we're down to about 20, I think. And you know, the, the, I guess just the, the perils of, of running your own small business, that it's not, there's not really a limited or an unlimited supply. And, sure. So I'd have to order more, and, you know, I feel like we've kind of, um, the momentum on it has, has been great, but it, you can kind of just feel it stalling out. So ordering another, you know, another chunk and, you know, putting several hundred dollars into it, just kind of like, God, I think we're, and really most importantly, I'm just, I'm, no pun intended, I'm just ready to close this chapter and move on because it's kind of like I've said, I, I feel like the guy selling, uh, Selling fake Rolexes on the side of the corner, you know, with my my trench coat, like, hey, you want a book? Like, I'm just carrying them around all the time in case somebody wants one. And um, I'm just ready to, like, I'm all out. I'm closing up shop, and this has been great. So um, the easiest way to get them is just go to MurrayStateBook.com, and uh, there's a link on there that you can you can order it, and uh, we'll get it uh, we'll get it out pretty much the next day to you. So it's uh, uh, pretty fast. Yeah, and, and it, even I'm if somebody uh, handling, so. uh, right, and, and if if someone's listening right now that is not because this podcast, as you know, is international at this point. Um, sure, sure. People may not be uh, exactly regional where they can pick it up in person. There is an option where they can have that shipped to them if they'd like. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean that's that's where it's set up is to just have it have it shipped to you. So, gotcha. um, you know, if it's 
and obviously, you know, people are listening. And whether if you live in Paducah or you live in Murray, it's easy because I'm in both places and I can just literally drop it off and stick it in your mailbox. But pretty much anywhere else, then we're just um, we just ship it and said you order it and we send it off the next day. Would you do it again? And what's the lesson you've learned that you would apply immediately if you do it a second time? really one was really good I you know I, I think that um, I've actually started kicking the tires a little bit on um, on another literary project um, but more in the uh, more in the children's department mm. um, but we'll we'll keep that under uh, under wraps for now so I don't have to put too much pressure on myself to actually do it at this point okay. um, yeah that's what life's all about right now, minimizing expectations. Um, the, you know, to, to do it all over again, um, boy, that's a good question. I would probably not, I think every, like everything, it's just all about time management. And I think I probably would have made a decision of when my deadline was that I had to be done. I would have done that a little earlier. Um, just to uh, give myself a little more time, although maybe in the end that would have just given me more time to procrastinate. But, um, you know, it was just such a, um, in the end it was, it was just a labor of love and I loved doing it. Um, but boy, I got to the end of it and like, I mean, the, the coolest part for me is I have a book on my shelf in my office at home that has my name on it and, um, that's awesome. And, you know, I sent one to my parents and I sent one to my grandparents and, uh, that was, uh, that was a neat thing to do. Uh, but it's one of the, the same time, I don't know that I ever need to open it and read another word of it because I've, I've, I can probably sit here and recite it from memory after just sitting here and looking at it a hundred times in the last two years. So, um, yeah, I, I think just time because I, cause it really just felt, I felt rushed and I, and I did, I, I shouldn't have had to feel that way. Um, and as I as I continue to flesh this out, I would have more people involved with it. I think I I tried to do too much with it. I, I tried to make it all a self self publishing thing because I'm I'm uh, the greedy capitalist, and I was trying to keep as as many myths out of it as possible to try to maximize my. Because I knew this wasn't this wasn't going to be book that was going to sell you know thousands upon thousands of copies or anything, and so I was just trying to make as much back just for my own, uh, just to try to pay me back for my time as much as anything. And, and I think in the end that just added more stress. If I'd had a publishing company that, you know, could have, could have handled the editing and could have handled the, um, the distribution and the sales and, and stuff like that. And yeah, that would have taken some, uh, money out of my pocket, but at the same time would have taken a load of stress of, like I said, you know, running a small business up in the back of my car has been, uh, has been a little bit of a, just one more thing to handle in the last six weeks. That being said about, Mitts being in the, the operation, the title of the book does come from the famous line delivered by MSU play-by-play man Neil Bradley extending yes. the stay to San, in San Jose. What kind of royalties is Bradley looking at right now? Is he just, <laughs> are, checks, are checks just rolling into his house? Uh, he, uh, he got a complimentary copy of the book, um, and then I signed it for him, and so oh. that added a, a three cents of, of a value to it, so... Um, that's, uh, yeah, that's all he's going to be able to get. So the, 
the eBay value that you gave him with that that signature uh, inscription, I'm sure, was pretty incredible. Yeah, that's like uh, that's like one of those things you can buy on eBay for five cents, and the shipping's like ten dollars. So <laughs> that's, that's pretty much that's what that deal is. Yeah. Well, exciting stuff. We're uh, we're I'm I'm excited for you. I think it's a it's an incredible thing that you did. Like I said, there's I know so many people that that throw out goals like that, and they say I'm going to write a book, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. And then, like you said, life happens and you kind of forget about it or just tuck it away. But you hung in there and, and got through it and delivered a pretty nice product. And I think you should be very proud of that. And I hope that uh, people listening will will uh, consider ordering it. I know it's not Christmas time, but maybe it makes a nice Valentine's Day present, wouldn't you say? I can think of nothing else that any wife could want any more than their <laughs> husband. Uh, giving them a Murray State basketball book written by yours truly. Nobody needs flowers. Nobody needs jewelry. Literary work made from my heart uh, to your bride. I, I mean, I think that's that's easy, easy way to go for uh, for any guy out there looking to spend a couple bones on his uh, on his lovely lady. For your next book, you know, they have the Sherry Berry code where you can say, you know, put in the the code Young Sports yes, Podcast. Sure. Next sure. year, when you have the next book, we'll we'll include a a young sports podcast discount, hopefully for uh, <laughs> for great. folks interested in buying the book. Um, be before you get out of here, I, I did want to get your your take on on something else. I had Murray State University football coach Mitch Stewart on earlier, and one of the things we really talked about at length was the great job that he and his staff did in recruiting Western Kentucky, in particular. As you know, he got a couple of guys from Hoptown. He got a an offensive lineman from Trigg, Donovan Keith, who was at Christian County, transferred to Murray from Western, Trajan Bright at Mayfield. The list goes on. How how important is that in terms of the the work they did to do that recruiting job in their backyard? And then for you, being a guy that is a such a advocate and fan of first and second region sports, how neat is it to see these guys that we cover for four or five years go on and, and play down the road at the next level? You know, I think we're in a stretch right now that um, this has been probably maybe the last two years or so. I think we have pumped out more Division One talent from this side of the state than really at any point in like 15 years. You know, there was always, you know, it, it, there was a time when, you know, going back, you know, gosh, it's been I think 13 years now, you know, like a, a Curtis Pulley signing with Kentucky. Um, a, gosh, there's not even, you know, there's not that many more. You know, like every night you get that one kid that may go to the SEC or go to a, um, you know, one of the, one of the BCS conferences and, and that be it. And then, you know, then everybody's going to Kentucky West Living or going to Lindsey Wilson or whatever. This has been, um, a stretch of, of a couple of, we, we had close to 40 kids sign this year. Uh, for football and soccer last week. And I mean, that's just, it's insane how much that is. I mean, that's, that was by far the busiest one we've ever had. And, and it's not just kids going, you know, and no disrespect to Lindsey Wilson and Kentucky Wilson, these aren't just kids going to NAIA schools. I mean, they're kids that are going, you know, they're going to the OVC, they're going to Missouri Valley, they're going to Conference USA. I mean, last year you had, Trey Hornbuckle from Murray going to Duke and, you know, Elijah Sindelar to Purdue and your two guys, uh, you know, Kyle and Amazer going to Purdue. I mean, it's like these are high 
level places that they're going, and it's it's been. And then you have basketball. I mean, we've had more Division One basketball. We can go years without Division One basketball talent coming out of Region One, and we've had a ton in the last couple of years. So uh, it has been. It's great, you know, and it's great to see these kids be able to sort of put together, um, develop and put together a body of work that is, is appealing to them or appealing to coaches at the next level and be able to, you know, go get some college paid for, which uh, as a, uh, a father of four, I am uh, I am disappointed for my children that they had to dip their toe into my gene pool because I know they're not going anywhere for athletics. So, um uh, it's great. I mean, it's great for the kids. It's great, obviously, for the families, and um, you know, hope it's a great opportunity. And you know, and for and for Mitch to be able to go through and really, I mean, he obviously hammered West Kentucky this year. And you know, there's a lot of good talent, and that's talent that you know, if he can get it to stay, you know, stay. You know, I mean, and and you know, he he sort of mentioned to me he said, you know, that his feelings weren't hurt when uh, you know Jeff Brown left. Um, because for Purdue, because Brom just he hammered. He got guys, guys that were borderline in that FCS, FBS. He'd go get them. He didn't care, you know. And those were guys that then weren't able to go to a place like Murray because they were going to Western. And so, you know, his, his feelings weren't hurt. I think maybe he saw a little bit of that. Uh, that maybe some of those kids, maybe a few more kids than normal, uh, ended up uh, ended up at Murray. But it's great, you know. And ultimately, you're running a business, you're trying to sell tickets, and what better way than have a bunch of kids who, you know, from 20 minutes away, uh, be able to play there, and mom and dad and friends can come watch them play. Good stuff. Uh, that's Jeff Bidwell. He's the sports director at WPSD Local 6 TV out of Paducah, the host of the Jeff Bidwell Show, 7 to 9 a.m. weekday mornings on 99.5 The Fan, 99fanpaducah.com. And like I mentioned, the author – of a great new book, Extending the State of San Jose, murraystatebook.com. Go pick up a copy now before they're sold out for good, which they are well on their way to being. Jeff, thank you so much for spending some time. Uh, I, I know you think you're uh, not at the A or B level uh, guest yet, but you are a, a good guy, and I appreciate you doing this and, and being a part of the, the podcast revolution here at young sports well i'm happy to do it anytime and i can only pray for you and your family but guess number four uh is a little bit of a step up for you so <laughs> we're pulling for you i appreciate that jeff bidwell everybody <laughs> thanks for joining us we'll be right back with the young sports podcast That's going to be a wrap on episode three of the Young Sports Podcast. I'd like to thank Murray State University head football coach Mitch Stewart, as well as Jeff Bidwell, author of Extending the Stay in San Jose, which is available right now at murraystatebook.com, both of them for joining us today as guests. A big thanks as well to Wayne Young for returning for 10 Minutes with Dad, and as always to Ryan Kinder, who's hit single close will play us out today. For more information on how to become a sponsor of this show or how you can listen, please email Young Sports, that's J-U-N-G sports, at gmail.com. Until next time, may you always be courageous, stand upright, and be strong, and may you stay forever young. Maybe you-